Well, it's great to see you. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 44. Of course, we're continuing our study of the life, really, of Joseph. When you think about the book of Genesis, remember there are four great events, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the division. And then there are four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so we're in the last part of the book in which we're seeing Joseph. We're seeing his interaction with his brothers after 20 years. They've come to Egypt to buy food because of the famine. They do not recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And we've seen that Joseph has been testing his brothers. What are they like? Are they honest? Are they loving? Do they care about each other? How do they relate to each other? How do they relate to the youngest brother, Benjamin? Are they jealous of him in the same way that they were jealous of Joseph some 20 years before, which ultimately resulted in him being a slave? He's testing his brothers. So far, they've passed the test. They have shown to be honest men because they put extra, they paid for food, they paid money for food, and they put the money back in their sacks, and when they came back the second time, they brought the money back and said, uh, this really isn't our money, we, we paid for it, we don't know who put it back in our sacks. They brought the youngest brother back, which was, that was the second big test. Well, this evening we're going to see the final test. How will they treat Benjamin? We see the lives of these brothers. Judah is the one that's going to step forward. And we're going to see a lot about him. And we're going to see one of the greatest truths of all, and that's the idea of substitution. Judah risked his life for Benjamin. He's willing to take Benjamin's place. And as we think about that, we'll think about uh, the, the greatest act of substitution ever. That is the substitution of Jesus Christ. Now that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we all owe God death, and we're supposed to be separated from God, Jesus Christ stepped forward and basically says, I will take their place. So it's a great picture of the substitution of our Savior. We'll see more about it as we go through the passage. And this evening we see Judah substitutes for Ben, for Benjamin. We'll see how that fits. Let's start with a prayer and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great, great night. Thank you for uh, the opportunity as believers to come together. Thanks for the great songs. Just fun to sing. Thanks for Sunday night. Thank you that we're back in here. And Lord, I just love the opportunity for us to come together and study the Bible. We pray for the Awana, uh, all our kids in Awana, and just going to have so much fun over there while we're, while we're over here. And we just thank you, Lord, that we have something good for our children while we have services, while we study the Bible. We thank you for the youth and think of Jay as well and, and thank you for, for the great youth program that we have while we're having the service as well. So Lord, just so many great things go on. We just ask you that as we look at the book of Genesis, as we study, as we see the truths that are there, that you would teach us, especially in Genesis chapter 44 tonight as we go quickly through the passage, that you would teach us, help us to understand it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Was a man by the name of Gong Hong, and he was a little Chinese merchant from the lowlands of Formosa. He had contacted this head-hunting rabbit uh, 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 people from this island and uh, of his island, and, and what he wanted to do was do business with them, and he sold them salt and other products. But they were headhunters. He'd settled down and actually began to live among them, and uh, the headhunters noticed something different about him that he had a quiet gentleness and, and a peace they didn't have. He, he was a believer. He was a Christian. And he lived among these people. And as time went by, he, he wanted them to quit killing each other. Because what they would do is they would cut somebody's head off. That's what That was their deal. They would wait for somebody to come by, and then they would just jump up and cut somebody's head off. So one day he called the leaders together, and he said, you've got to stop this practice of cutting people's heads off. You know, I mean, that's just not a thing to do. And he, and uh, because they said that what they did is they took the heads and then they sacrificed them to their gods. And he told them about the true God and they have to stop doing this. Well, they finally agreed that they said this. Okay, we've made a decision. Because all you've done for us, uh, this year we've decided to only cut... Cut off one head. We're just going to cut off one head. He tried to get them to change and they wouldn't change. And, and, and they said, he said to this, okay, if you take this one head 
Will you stop forever? And they promised. They trusted him so much that they even told him where they were going to go for their final victim. Great preparation was made. They had their feast. They had their celebration. They sharpened their knives. They waited for their victim. About midnight, the shadowy shape of a man came down the path. One swing of the knife and it was over. They raced back to their ceremony so it could begin. All crowded around to see the head of the sacrifice. And they were amazed as the hunter lifted the head from the sack. It was their Chinese friend. He became the final sacrifice for them. He was the substitute. He died so the killing would stop. And because the leaders kept their word, once again, that was the end of those sacrifices. Let me ask you a question. Who would you give your life for? For your wife? For your children? For your husband? For your brothers, your sisters? Your parents? In the book of Romans, he says, For a good man, some, for a good man, some may even die. For a good man. But God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died in our place as the substitute. Do we realize what he did for us, that he became our substitute? This evening, as we look through chapter 44, we see substitution. Judah wants to take the place of Benjamin. So let's think about where we are in the study. As you know, Jacob's sons have returned to Egypt to buy more food. It's the famine. They brought Benjamin, the youngest. They've eaten with Joseph. They don't even know who he is. They still think he's the, they think he's the second command and he is in Egypt, but they don't have any idea that he's their brother. Um, Joseph is testing them. He knows who they are. He wants to see how they're going to deal with Benjamin. This is their final test. Because he, he's seen already that they're honest people. He's seen that kind of thing. He's seen they brought their brother back. They passed the test. But what's going to happen now? And so last time we know that he, he knows about his own life and how they were jealous. He tested them. When they all were eating at the meal, he gave Benjamin so much more food. Five times as much at the meal. And he could tell that they weren't arguing over that. It looked good. Well, this evening, the final test, and we're going to see the final test. Once again, it's money and Benjamin. That's the final test, and we'll see how it fits together, and, and we'll see substitution. Let me break down the passage for you. First of all, the plan to trap Benjamin, chapter 44, verses 1 through 13. They're going to put a cup in his sack. They're going to call him a thief is what they're going to do. He's going to trap his brother. And then we see Judah's intercession. Judah wants to take Benjamin's place and we'll see how that ties together there's so much there well let's begin let's see the final test of the brothers joseph brought them into his house for a meal look again at verse 33 uh, of, of chapter 43 now when they were seated before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth and the men looked at each other in astonishment when he brought his brothers in to eat with him and you remember that if well if you haven't been here on wednesday nights what they did is this there were some egyptians there was joseph who they think, who they think is an Egyptian and, and his family. The Egyptians do not eat with Jewish people because the Jewish people eat some animals that Egyptians wouldn't eat, so they think it's detestable. So here are some Egyptians sitting at one table. Joseph, since he's such a high-ranking official, number two, sits by himself, and then his brothers sit at a table, and what was amazing, they receded from the oldest to the youngest, and they looked around like, how does this man how could he even know something like this? How could how could we be lined up like this? And they get on to say in verse 34, he took portions to them from his own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs. And they feasted and drank freely with him. Now that was a test. And were they going to be jealous? Were they going to be upset that Benjamin, the youngest, got so much more food than everybody else? And they didn't. So apparently they're passing the test. 
He's got one final thing he wants to do. It ties in with money and Benjamin. Look at chapter 44. These are the verses we just read. Then he commanded his house steward. Now, this is a very high official that works for Joseph. He said, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Now, this is the second time he's done this. You, you usually pay for food. You don't get your money back. But he's doing this. He's giving the money back to them. It's going to be a test once again. He's going to see uh, how are they going to respond to this. And then the second thing, look what he says. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. Now, apparently there was a, apparently he had a cup that, that everybody could tell. That's, you know, that's, that's that leader's cup. You, you don't touch his cup. And, and so it was a special cup. And he said, take my special cup, put it in his sack. Why is he doing that? Well, he makes it look like that he stole it. Makes it look like he stole it. And here's the real question is, Go ahead. Will they protect him or leave him? Because what's going to happen is they're going to come back and say, this man stole. And all the brothers are going to go, well, see ya. Tough. Sorry. Are they going to, are they going to defend him? What's going to happen? Well, notice verse three. As soon as it was light when the men were sent away, they with their donkeys. So they left real early. When they had gone just out of the city and they had not gone far off, when Joseph said to his house steward, here's what I want you to do. Up. Follow the men. When you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is this not the one, talking about the cup, from which my Lord drinks, which he indeed uses for divination? You have done wrong in doing this. He says, What I want you to do is let them get out of town just a little bit. Now you go after them. When you get there, go up to them and say, Hey, what's the deal here? Why did you steal the master's cup? Isn't that the cup that he uses for divination? What is divination? Trying to figure out things. Like, Do you think Joseph uses this cup for divination? I would say not, but what I think he's doing is he, he doesn't want them to know who he is, so he wants them to think that this is really a special cup. And so he says, tell them, hey, isn't this the cup he uses for divination? You have done wrong. You've done evil. So catch up with them. And, and we fed you. We gave you a meal. We gave you food. We've taken care of you. Now, what have you done? You have stolen now, all we see is that Joseph is testing his brothers. The plan is to catch them, to question them, and see what happens. Well, look at verse 6. So he overtook them, and he spoke these words to them. That's what he told them. He said, why did you steal the stuff? Why did you steal the cup? They said to him, wait a minute. Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. We would never do that. Why? Behold, the money which was found in our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then would we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? What they basically said is, look, we're honest people. We wouldn't steal. You remember the first time when we found the extra money in our sacks? We brought it all the way back and we told you. We said, this, this isn't our money. We're honest people. We would never steal. So why would you think we would steal the cup? And they're so confident that none of them stole the cup. Here's what they says. He says, uh, with whomever of your servants it is found, well, this is a strong statement, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. Now, they said this, we can't, we don't steal, and so here's what we find out. If it's found, it's not going to be found, but if it were to be found, that person, whoever has it, should die, and the rest of us will be slaves. Now, you know, they ought to be careful on what you say. Because, see, the first time they opened those sacks on the way back, they weren't expecting to find any money in them, and there was all the money. And so for him to be so bold, now I know he's bold enough to say, we didn't steal anything, but I think I might not say, you'll die, 
and the rest of us will be slaves. Somebody could say, Let's, don't, don't say that. Don't say slaves. Just, just say, uh, uh, you decide what happens if we, st-. you know, who knows? We don't want to say that. Notice verse 10. He changes it. The, the leader says, so he said, well, let also be according to your words. Here's the thing. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Now, he does this on purpose. If found slave, the rest innocent. Why? Because they're going to isolate it to one person. He doesn't want all of them to be in trouble because you realize they're they're all banding together and say, listen, whoever did it dies. The rest of us will be slaves. We're all in this together. He says, oh, no, 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 no. Whoever gets it, whoever's got it, that person's going to be a slave. The rest of you can go free. And you can see what he's done. He's made it very convenient for them to go, wow, bummer, bummer, Benjamin. Tough break, man. We will... We'll come back when we need more grain. Maybe we can see you. Maybe not. Who knows? I mean, that that makes it really convenient to say, I'm not going to worry about it. But notice what happens. Then they hurried. Each man lowered his sack to the ground. And each man opened his sack. He became he searched beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. Now, you, you know the servant who's doing all this? He knows everything. He says, let's start with the oldest. He knows it's in the youngest. It's sort of like, okay, there's one, nine, nine, one, nine eight, eight to go, seven to go, six to go, five to go, four to go. They, so far, they're doing really good. They're ten out of ten, right? Looks like we're okay until you get to the very last one. He searched beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. You know, when you haven't done anything wrong, you don't care. You say, oh, yeah, open it up. Open it up. I know there's nothing in my sack. Benjamin, Benjamin would say, open it up. I know there's nothing in my sack. And they opened it up, and there's the cup. My gracious. You can almost see them all go, what? What? Benjamin could go, what? I didn't get that cup. I didn't take that cup. I promise you, I did not take that cup. I don't know how that cup got in there. Have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do? I mean, you know how you feel. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I did not do that. Wait a minute, I, I'll tell anybody. Oh, you can come check. I did not do that. Poor old Benjamin, all he can say is, I didn't do that. But when they look around, they all go, oh my gosh. And so they do what Jewish people do. They do what people in that culture do. When something really happens, they tear their clothes. Notice. Verse 13, then they tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. To tear the clothes shows great emotion. So they just tear their clothes. Like, how could this have happened? How could this have happened? So, tore the clothes, throw strong emotion and sorrow and anger and sadness and, and everything tied up. And so they load everything up and they head back. You can almost see Benjamin saying, I, I promise you, I did not do this. And they say to him, I, we don't know. We don't understand it. But I think in their minds, you know what they say? This is God getting us back for sending Joseph into slavery all those years ago. They really feel like that God is disciplining them for what they did to their brother all those years ago. They All they know is that they sold him into slavery. They don't know what happened to him. And every time something happens to him, they come back and go, I knew this is coming back on us. Well, notice when they get there in verse 14. Then when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. Now, do you notice something unique there? Who's taking the leadership of the, of the family? It's Judah is. Judah. It didn't say when they got back there. It said when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there and they fell to the ground before him. They have come back. 
they have come before him. This is about the fifth time that they have bowed to Joseph. You remember when they were younger? Joseph said in the dream, you will bow to me. They said, we will never bow to you. This is now their fifth bow, right? Because whatever God says is right. It's just going to always happen. And so look what, look what Joseph said. Joseph said to them, what is this deed that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? See, he's still not letting them know who he is. And he says, don't you know I can tell the future by stuff? You got my cup, my, my cup, my main cup. Don't you guys think, you think you could get away with getting my main cup? Well, Judah becomes the spokesman. So Judah said, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out, now watch. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. God has found out? What's he talking about? He's talking about what they did years ago. He's saying, this is coming back on us. Now, he knows that that ruler doesn't even know what he's talking about. That's what they think. They think this guy doesn't know, but what's happened here is God has found out what we've done. God is coming back on us, the reaping and the sowing. We did something wrong 20 years ago when we sold our brother into slavery. We don't know what happened to him. We came back and lied to our father and said, obviously, some animal ate him up because we found his coat. We put blood all over it like it was some animal. Something ate him up. But the truth is, we didn't know what happened to him. And now, once again, it's coming back on us. Is there a principle from the Word of God that whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It is true. It is true that what you put in, you get out. There are consequences to actions. There are results of actions, both good and bad. He who sows to the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. He who sows to the Spirit shall reap of the Spirit what? Eternal life. Life. How you live, what you do, there are consequences, both good and bad. That's just the way it is. That's the way God set it up. That's the principle. Let me tell you something. Are there consequences to the fall of mankind? Yes. Do they still, are they still addressed? It's a fallen world. The world groans and travails. And, and let me tell you, if there hadn't been the substitution of Jesus Christ, the consequences of the sin of Adam and Eve all down, every human being would be separated from God forever. That's the consequences. Always consequences. So when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell to the ground. And Joseph said, what is that you have done? Don't you know that such a man as I can practice deviation, divination? So Judah said to him, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. And then he says, behold, we are, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whom possession of the cup has been found. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to change it a little bit because what was the plan? You know, he says, um, we're all in this together. Yes, we're all, we'll all, we'll all be slaves. Now, what did he say earlier? They said earlier, whoever, whoever's got the cup's gonna what? Gonna die, and, and, and then we'll be your slaves. And he said, no, 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 no. Whoever has the cup will be slaves. Rest of you can go. When they get back there, the brothers are sticking together. Joseph sees this. This is unusual. What do you think might, what do you think could have happened? They all could have said, we're sorry about Benjamin. And uh, thank you so much. They didn't say that. They said, we, we are your slaves. But that is powerful. You can almost see Joseph saying, they're different. They're different. 
We are your slaves. The one caught becomes a slave. Look what he says. But the one caught becomes is innocent. Notice he said, but he said, no, 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 no. Far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your fathers. He said, no, no, no. You, you can go. You can leave. You don't have to do that. Now here's the question. And this is the final test. Would they leave Benjamin? Would they abandon another brother? Would it be another time that they let a brother become a slave? Because that's what happened. They abandoned Joseph. They threw him in a hole. And then when the Ishmaelites came by, the Midianites, they pulled him out and sold him into slavery. They abandoned him. They, they let him go. And now would the same thing happen 20 years later to another brother? Especially the favored brother. Especially the one who, who has now taken Joseph's place as the favored son. I guarantee you, back at home, who got everything? Benjamin did. I mean, everybody knows it. They all say, our father, through his favorite wife, had two sons. One is gone, one is left. We don't want anything to happen to this one. That's his favorite son now. You know, normally in families, when somebody gets the favorite, what happens to the rest? They're not too happy about that. And they've never been too happy about that. But something's changed. Notice what he says. But he said, verse 17, Far be it for me to do this, the man in whom's possession the cup has been found. He shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Would they leave Benjamin? Would they abandon another brother? Would they let another brother be a slave? This is the test. The test. Any hatred or envy or jealousy is going to come out right now. Because they would be free to leave. How are they going to respond? Well, notice, notice what? Judah. Steps forward. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, the fourth son, Dan. Look what he says. Then Judah approached him and said, O my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ear, and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. Now what he basically says is, could I, uh, could I talk to you a minute about something and when he says into the, your ear, he's saying, this is not for everybody. I, I just, I need to talk to you about something that's very important. He says, and please don't be angry because we know you are equal to Pharaoh. I mean, you've got the power to just kill me right now if you want to. You can do anything you want to because you have that kind of power. So he approached him and said, may I speak a word to my servant, please? And my Lord said, don't be angry with your servant for you're equal to, to Pharaoh. You could do anything. You, you could do anything. Here's what he says. My Lord, ask his servants. You ask us, saying, have you a father or a brother? When we first came, you said, what's your family like? Do you have a father? Do you have a brother? We said to my Lord, we have an old father and a little child of his old age. we got an old father and he's got a, a young child, a young son. Now, his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother and his father loves him. He's the favorite son. We told you my dad had a favorite son. And it ain't me. It's Benjamin. And when he said to your servant, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes upon him. You told us that, that you didn't believe us and to prove that we were not spies, we had to go the next time we come, we had to go and bring our youngest brother here. We said to you, my Lord, in verse 22, he said, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. We're afraid to, to do that because if we leave him, his father would die. You said to your servant, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you'll not see my face again. You told us that when the money, when the food runs out and we want to come back, if we don't bring our younger brother, we will never see you. We will not get any more food. 
Verse 24, thus it came about that when we went to your servant, my father, when we came up there, we told him the words of my Lord. We told him everything that happened. He just sort of ignored it. He said, no, 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 we're not taking off, Benjamin, that's for sure. But then our father said, go back and get a little food. But we said to him, we can't go down. If our youngest brother is with us, if our youngest brother is with us, then we'll go down. But we cannot see the man's faith unless our younger brother, youngest brother is with us. And so your servant, my father, said to us, you know, my wife will me two sons. Notice, my wife. How many wives did he have? At four. Four. But my wife bore me two sons. How many sons did he have? Twelve. But you know my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he's torn to pieces, and I haven't seen him since. as Joseph. And if you said to him, What's going to happen to Joseph? You ever see your son Joseph again? He'll say, I'll never see my son Joseph again. Obviously he was eaten by an animal. He, he's gone. If you take this one down also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to shield in sorrow. You understand that Sheol is the place of the dead. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is Sheol. It means the place where people go when they die. The New Testament word is Hades. It means the place of the dead. This is not hell. This is not the lake of the fire. This is a place in the heart of the earth. Luke 16, I taught this in my Sunday school class just about three or four weeks ago. This is a place in the heart of the earth where Jesus actually said, uh, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. The paradise is on the heart of the earth. It was a place called Sheol. It was also called Hades. And so bottom line, he says, if, if you take this one from me and harm befalls him, you'll bring my gray hair, hair down to Sheol and sorrow. In other words, he says, I'll die with sorrow. In fact, I just won't be able to live if something happens to this son. Now, therefore, when I came to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, what if I come back? When I come back to my father... And Benjamin is not with us. Since his life is bound up in the lad's life, and we sees the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servant will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to shield and sorrow. Now, if you stop right there, you could say, well, maybe Judah's going to say, listen, you don't want to see an old man die, do you? Don't, l- let us take Benjamin back. Don't, don't do this. Um, We'll pay money, we'll, we'll, we'll get less food, we'll do anything if you'll just let us take Benjamin back. That's what it could be. I mean, we don't know what he's fixing to say. It could be he says, listen, if we go back without Benjamin, my dad will die. I don't want my dad to die, so uh, let us just take Benjamin and, and we won't even take the food this time. We'll, we'll come back and pay double for food. We'll do anything. That's not what he says. Notice what he says. In fact, uh, I think verse, I've got 30, 31 right there. If we go back without him, Jacob will die, and he just won't be able to take it. So notice what he says in verse 32. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if, you do not bring him, if I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Do you know what surety is? Surety says I'll take responsibility totally. Surety is like cosigning. There's a place in Proverbs that says, do not be surety for another. Meaning that if somebody comes to you and says, I can't get this loan, will you come sign the loan papers with me and co-sign with me? That's being surety because what you're saying is, I guarantee it. You know, there are a lot of people who co-sign a loan and don't realize that they're just taking the loan themselves right then. Because if the other person doesn't pay, you pay it totally. I mean, I've seen people, listen to Dave Ramsey and some others, and they act like it's a surprise. They say, well, I went down and co-signed for my my good friend for the car, and he didn't make the payments. Now they're coming to me for the payments. And Dave Ramsey says, what do you think surety is? 
What do you think cosigning is? You said you would pay it. So what does ben- what does uh, Judas say? For your servant became surety for the lad to my father. He's saying I will bear the responsibility total for Benjamin. If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. He's saying, listen, I uh, I'm totally responsible for this boy. So the next statement is one of the most powerful in the scripture. Look what he says. Now therefore. Please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. He doesn't just say, listen, do me a favor. Let Benjamin go back with us. We won't take food, uh, anything. He says, no, no, I understand. I would like to take his place. I would like to become a slave instead of him. I would like to let him go back to be with daddy and I will stay here and be your slave. Would you do that? You know what Joseph recognizes? He recognizes that all that jealousy and all of that's gone. Do you think in 20 years ago that if it had come up Joseph or one of them, they would have said, oh, no, 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 we'll take Joseph's place? No, they'd have said, you take on Joseph and get rid of him. We don't like him. And now Joseph says, do they treat Benjamin the same way? And the answer is no, they do not. In fact, Judah becomes his Substitute. Look what he says. Let me stay instead of the lad. He's going to be the substitute. Look at the next slide. That's the substitution. Judah says, let me be the slave. Let Benjamin go home. The test. Will they leave Benjamin? Or will they care? And they pass the test. Judah cares enough to become a slave. Let me ask you something. What do you think being a slave in that day and time was like? You know what Judah probably thinks? He probably says, you know... This whole idea of sowing and reaping, (laughs) I think it comes true. And since we sold Joseph into slavery, and I was a part of that, I guess it's going to come back on me and that I'm going to become a slave. And I'm willing to do that so that Benjamin can go home. Nobody's even said... Benjamin didn't do it. Somebody's tricked us. We would never steal. They hadn't even said that. They just said, listen, we'll just bear the punishment. How can I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? That's verse 34. For fear that I would see the evil that would overtake my father. He'd die. I just can't bear that. I made a promise to my dad that I would be the surety, that I would be the one. And so... It comes right down to it. Benjamin goes, if you'll let me, Benjamin can go. I can stay in his place. I like to look at chapter 45. Look what happens when Joseph cannot, if you put the slide up, I think there's a slide on this. Go, go back to the next one, please. Joseph makes himself known because they passed the test. Look what he says. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried out, have everyone go out from me. He told all of his servants, he told everybody, everybody get out of the room. There was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now we're going to see this next week, so I won't go to the detail. But he looks at his brothers and says, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. And they all went, I don't think so. I don't know what you're talking about. You don't look like Joseph. You look like an Egyptian. And I don't know if Joseph was a slave. How in the world are you going to be? And they can't believe it. In fact, 
if they think it's true, then they think we are really in trouble. Because what did we do to him? And he has all this power. If this is really Joseph, we're in trouble. They don't realize it, but they passed the test. You realize that uh, Judah said, I will be the substitute. 1,500 years later, someone from the tribe of Judah stepped forward, named Jesus, came into the world and said, I will be the substitute. Isn't that amazing? The line of the tribe of Judah became the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. I want you to do something. Just flip over all the way almost to the back of your Bible to First Peter. First Peter chapter 3. I just want you to turn over there to one of the great passages in the Scripture that shows us substitution. We'll spend a little bit more detail on this next week, but turn over to First Peter chapter 3. It's a famous verse. In fact, probably most of you in this room, you've probably memorized it. 1 Peter 3, verse 18, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the just to the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now what does it say? Christ also died for sins once for all. If you put it up, look, he died for sins once for all. That's substitution. He became the substitute for us, the just for the unjust. Who is the just one? Jesus Christ. Who is the unjust? Every one of us in this room. We, we, don't, we don't deserve anything. We, we can't do anything. We are the ones that have done wrong. And so Jesus says, I will take their place. Christ died for sins, all sins, once for all, for all time. He only had to die once to pay for sin. The just him, Jesus Christ, for the unjust us. Why? So that results he might bring us to God. What is the greatest? That is the greatest. He died for us so He could take us to God. God demonstrates His love toward us while we are sinners. Christ died for us. Second Corinthians 5.21 For God hath made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Over and over you see throughout the Scripture the substitution of Jesus Christ. May we never take it for granted. Well, what have we seen? Joseph's final test. He hid the cup and accuses Ben. The plan is that Ben become the slaves. The others will go. Judah willingly says, I'll take Benjamin's place. They have passed the test. And next time we see that Joseph reveals himself. And what we'll do is go back and get a little bit more details on substitution because it's such a great truth from the Scripture. Let me give you some applications. First one is this. How and how are you and I responding to the test in life? Because they're tests all the time. Joseph is testing his brothers, but they're a test in life. Are we passing them? Or are we doing right from wrong? Are we trusting God or trusting self? Because in the test of life, you're just going to have to trust God. Are we going to be conformed to the world or are we going to be transformed by the Word? And that's the decisions that we make. As we get up in the morning, we say, I want to live my life for what? Do I want to live my life for Jesus Christ or do I want to live my life for myself? And that's the choice that we make every day, all day long. We can offer ourselves as living sacrifices, being not, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed. We can make decisions as we go through life and we can say, I'm going to live by the Scripture or I'm not going to live by the Scripture. I'm going to walk in the flesh or I'm going to walk in the Spirit. It's decisions we make all the time, and the life is filled with test after test after test, whether we will live by the word or not. Second, here's the great truth, and let's just realize that Jesus Christ took our place, because we're all, all guilty. The book of Romans says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God, but Jesus Christ came. That's the greatest story of all. It is the greatest story of all. Uh, that Jesus Christ came to the earth, died on the cross, and paid for sin for us. I mean, what could be better than that? What could be simpler than that? 
you know, if mankind makes up the message, we always do, we always do the same thing. Anytime man fools with the message, we always do what? We add what? Works. We all say, well, you've got to be willing to do this, or you got to do this, or you got to do this. You got to crawl on your knees. You got to put something through your face. You got to offer the sacrifice. You got to cut off a head. You got to do something. Listen, I saw the, the show the other night on some channel, and it was some religious deal, and they were taking these rods, these steel things, and they were sticking them all the way through their mouths like this and saying, this will appease gods, the gods, and they stick, you know, and it was showing their, their, their sorrow for sin and how they've come to God and they're punishing themselves. Listen, you don't want to be punished. If you want the justice of God, you will be separated forever. God poured out His justice on Jesus Christ. We want the grace and mercy of God. And so have we realized that Christ took our place? And so there's a couple of responses. One, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, and I look through this room, I know most everybody in here, but if for some, if there happens to be anyone in this room who has never understood the salvation message, trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. He is your substitute. He died in your place. He paid for sin. He rose again. And He offers the gift of eternal life. And any one of us, any human being, all we simply do is say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior, I'm trusting in Him and Him alone to give me eternal life. And you're saved, and you're saved forever. It is not your works, it is not your goodness, it is not your faithfulness, it is not anything that we do. It is the gift of God. For those of us who are believers, what we want to do is this. We want to give Him all the glory. We want to give Him all the glory on what He has done. And when you talk about the fact that you're going to heaven, you can say, it's not me, it's Him. He did it all. I've told you all this story. I trusted Christ when I was 19, February 13th, 1969. I was 19 years old. I lived in an athletic dorm at Delta State. And um, I remember it was about two weeks after I trusted in Christ. I understood I was going to heaven. And a guy and I, a guy came in my room and we started talking. And I, I knew him, but not very well. And something came up. And, of course, at that time, right after you trust Christ, you actually want to tell other people. You know, as you get older, you get used to it and you don't tell people. But I was telling people, and I told him about the fact that I was going to heaven. And he said, wait a minute. You think you're going to heaven? I said, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven. He said, so you think you're that good that nobody can know they're going to heaven and you act like you're that good. I said, whoa, no, no, you you misunderstood me. I'm going to heaven not because of me, not because I'm good. I've never done any good things. Jesus Christ is my Savior. He died for me and paid for my sins. He is the one that gives me eternal life. It's Jesus that gets all the glory. That's what we have to say. He gets all the glory. And we can clearly do that because that's number two. Number two is make clear the message. Don't mess it up. You have the responsibility to be clear as a bell on what the message of salvation is. We have to do it. We get to talk to people. Some of us get to talk to people every day. There are a lot of you who share your faith. And when you talk to people, we've got to be clear. Because we can't tell them it's like ask Jesus into your heart and make your, you know, give your life to Jesus and repent of your sins and walk down an aisle. Be willing to do this and be willing to do that. That's unclear and it's wrong. You have to be clear that it's faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life, that He is the one who died and rose again, and you trust in Him and Him alone for eternal life. So with great joy and thankfulness, we we tell of the substitution of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the, the good news, the substitute, the one who died and rose again to take away our sin, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. So may we trust God in the test of life as we seek to proclaim to others the good news that Jesus died and rose again as our substitute, 
so that by faith in him you can have eternal life. Let's pray. If we've got any questions or comments, we'll deal with it. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for this passage, Lord. There's just so much in here as we look at the life of Joseph and how he deals with his brothers. And, Lord, we see the test and how they actually pass the test. And we see the whole idea of substitution, realizing that Benjamin, uh, that jo- Judah is going to take Benjamin's place. And, Lord, we realize how Jesus Christ took our place. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has never trusted Christ, that they will right now, right where they're sitting, they can believe in him for eternal life. Lord, for all of us who have trusted in Jesus, may we give him all the glory for what he's done, and may we be very clear to proclaim the message of salvation to others. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions, comments, anything about the passage? I know we're over just a little bit, but any questions? Yes. Why didn't they say anything about the money? I don't know. Oh, you mean, why didn't? Why wasn't it brought up then about the money? I don't know. It doesn't, he doesn't mention it at all. All that he mentions is the cup. And I think what he's trying to do is, see, who had money? Every one of them. So the issue, he doesn't want to lump them all together. He wants to separate it out. And the only one he wants to get into trouble is Benjamin. So that it's going to come down to what will they do for Benjamin. So I think that's why they didn't mention the money. What else? Any other questions, input, anything? Uh huh. Exactly. I think you're exactly right. I think Joseph, of course, was lying to him. I mean, I don't mean it bad. Joseph was pretending to say, I can do divination. Now, could Joseph know the future and know things? Well, because God used the dreams and stuff, so he could. But but, but I think you're right. What Judah was saying is, oh, my, this is not from some pagan something here. This is the fact that God is dealing with us for what we did earlier. So I think you're exactly right. Good point. What else? What else? Anything else? Yes. Huh? Judah was the one who represented the brothers when they said, let's sell him into slavery. Mm-hmm. Now Judah is the one saying, I will accept responsibility. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Judah realized, what, what, look what I did a long time ago. I, I guess well, I guess this whole thing of sowing and reaping is actually working out. Yeah, so you're exactly right. And of course, Judah, you know, you look at him and all the, you know, you got Reuben, Levi, Simeon, Judah, you know, they, they all, everybody's messed up, but Judah's going to be the one and, and through which the, the, the Messiah and the King comes. And he's really a foreshadow here of the substitution of Jesus Christ. It's amazing when you look at the scripture, all of the, we're studying the feast in my Sunday school class, and it's amazing as you look at all the feasts, they all are foreshadows of Jesus Christ, what he, what he's going to do or what, what he has done or what he's going to do. It's amazing there. Anything else? Okay, Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for uh, our time. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for each one that's come tonight. Lord, may we have a great time as we continue our study uh, in the weeks to come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.